0: This is part of uh, getting into a new building. My mic, for some reason, is not working with our sound system, and I'm using Corey's. Mine is a button I press. Corey's, I have to open and turn on, so lesson learned, right? My name's David, though. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I do know how to work microphones sometimes. I'm pumped to be preaching this week so just to give you guys a little intro to that, because a lot of you are new, like Corey mentioned, uh, Corey and I preach on a rotation, so if you're here, what you're probably going to experience is you may never see the same combination of worship leader and who's preaching from week to week. That's going to always vary. So when we merged churches, you mentioned Collinsville Community Church, that was how we worked out. We'd preach on a rotation. I think it's been one of the most beautiful things of the merge is that we're able to give you guys just a different voice at times, and it also frees us up to. Do other things outside of our sermon prep. Uh, one of one of the main focuses for me, and I really wanted to stress this, as Corey mentioned, church planting, and you can see international mission, missions up there. Is I oversee our church planting efforts and our and our international mission efforts. And so, if you like wonder like, well, what does David do? Well, that's what that's what I do. I work really hard on all those things to make sure that we are uh, making disciples, not just here in our neighborhoods, but to the nations. And so, if you're ever interested in like what we're doing with church planting or. mission missions. We had a missions meeting last week, so there's some cool stuff going on. Also, because Corey had like a novel he had to go through with the uh, announcements, because there is so much going on right now, and he came, as soon as he came in, he came into the green room. He's like, oh, I forgot. He forgot to mention, we have our newcomer hangout today. It's immediately following the service. So, if you're new to Heights in the past month or two, or longer and you haven't really get, like, got connected to hear what we're about, as soon as the service is over, um, we're inviting you to go out those doors right there and we're gonna have that area kind of blocked off, set up with tables, so we're gonna have lunch for you. Corey and I both will be staying with one of our missional communities hosting that and it's an opportunity for you to get to hear from us about our vision to who we are, ask us questions and get to know us a little bit and if you're not staying, we'd ask you guys to go out that back door there and you guys have all this room here, we got plenty of room now, we're in this new space, you can hang out in here, go get your kids, hang out on that side of the building. But we're really excited to be able to have the newcomer hang out. So if you're new and you want to hear more about us, let's, uh, let's hang out and have lunch. Let me pray for us, though. God, thank you so much for this space that we get to be in. And God, I thank you that we do have a ton going on. Good things, not just things to fill a calendar so that we can say that we have a bunch of programs. But God, good things that we get to do to meet new people. Good things that we get to do to come together to worship you, to to give away the resources that you've given us to steward, Lord, that we get to talk about how we get to give those back to further your kingdom. So, Lord, today as we sit in this new space, Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me. I, uh, I was asked if I was nervous, and I said, I don't know yet, and when I stepped up here, yeah. It is, it's a little overwhelming to, to preach in a new space. And God, I pray that you will calm my nerves, that you will use me as a vessel to communicate your word to your people. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're a week away from Christmas, if you didn't realize that, so if you don't have your Christmas shopping done, you have a lot to do in the next seven days or so, and if you get on Amazon, I'm just going to warn you, the delivery date, I don't care if you have Prime or not, you're not getting stuff as quick as you would like, so you're, you're in scramble mode. It is, uh, it's always an interesting season. You know, we we get here and kids, you're always anticipating it, you're waiting. Christmas is awesome. You get all the stuff that you've been wanting all year. And as we get into Advent every year, we do the same thing. We will preach through hope and peace and love and then we'll get to this last week of joy. But what happens when we don't have hope and we don't have peace and we don't have love? How do you get to experience joy then? How can you really think, man, I'm so joyful, I'm just, I'm giddy. No, you can't be, because you're literally thinking, oh my gosh, like, this is insane right now. I'm going to just pull back the curtain and let you know, like, where I'm at, what I'm adventing for, and, what I, and this is not a good adventing at all. January. I'm like, man, January can't get here soon enough. I'm like, I'm over Christmas. Those of you who know me, I don't get real into Christmas mood. The most I decorated outside of my house was I went and bought a four-foot blow-up Grinch. So if you drive by my house on Pine Lake, past Aldi's there, there's a, I think it's knocked over even right now. It's not even standing upright. So... I don't get like super into the Christmas thing, but I do love the fact that our Savior was born and I love getting to bless my kids with gifts and spend time with them. But here's the deal. We've been so busy that I don't feel like I have peace. And what I'm gonna say, and this is Facebook Live, so I'm not bad-mouthing my wife's family by any means. I legit have great in-laws. I really do. I love my mother-in-law, I love my father-in-law, and, and their aunts, uncles, cousins, all, it's fun. But do you realize that in the past two weeks, I've been to a Christmas gathering with them in some fashion, and we still have two more, just with her side of the family, okay? When you get that busy on top of other Christmas gatherings that we've been invited to, some we've been able to go to, some we have not been able to go to, Like, you get so busy, and some of you may be feeling the same way. Like, man, I have no peace. My schedule is literally one thing after another, and I'm trying to figure out how to get my house ready, Christmas shop, and cook food, like, and still work. Like, this is insane. And then, for me personally, when I start to, like, look at my past year, and many of you know... Uh, some stuff that's gone on in, in my immediate family and some in my extended family, you know like, man, it's, it's not been an easy year for David and Emily. We have an adopted daughter who, who moved out when she turned 18 earlier this year. That's, there's, there's a lack of love connection there, if I'm honest. The holidays have only magnified that situation and that relationship and, and where it's at. I mean, honestly, yesterday it came to like a screeching halt and, and whatever was left crumbled apart, if I'm real with you. So there's a lack of hope. It hurts. It's like, you, and you sit there and, you, and you're think, well, what am I adventing for? How can I have joy in this moment? And I know many of your stories sitting in this room right now, this is your first Christmas without a parent because your parents passed away in the past 12 months. Maybe it's the first Christmas where parents have moved and you're like, man, this is gonna be different this year. Or it's another Christmas with infertility without being able to watch the kid that you long for so bad to open up gifts. Maybe you're just dreading that family gathering because the relationships in your family are toxic. Or your marriage is hanging on by a thread and you have to... Put on a fake face with your spouse so that your kids can enjoy Christmas morning. How do you Advent for joy? What are you longing for? And so I, I try to think like, well, what? Am, we knew we were going to preach the Psalms, and and we had to change some text and some things as we planned out. And, and I thought thought it through, and I'm like, man, like, what speaks the joy? And I, and I came to Psalm 121 because it, it hits me straight on because it says, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? And he gives himself the answer. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I thought, well, that is, that's so true because he's seeing trouble and, and the Bible's clear that we're gonna see trouble. James 1, 2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so everything I just laid out for you that I'm experiencing, that I know that you as individuals are experiencing as families that you're experiencing, the reality is, is that's, that's what God warns us. It's, it's gonna come, these trials of various kinds. But we count it all joy. Not just because we wanna fake it. That's not what he's saying to do. He's saying count it joy because your help comes from the Lord. The great theologian Miley Cyrus Or for you 20-somethings, Hannah Montana, she puts it this way in her song, The Climb. There's always going to be another mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Always going to be an uphill battle. Sometimes I'm going to have to lose. Ain't about how fast I get there. Ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. The struggles I'm facing. The chances I'm taking. Sometimes it might knock me down. But no, I'm not breaking I may not know it, but these are the moments that I'm going to remember most. Yeah, just got to keep going. And I, I got to be strong. Just keep pushing on. That will make your, make your heart ache. You guys, come on. Her dad wrote achy, breaky heart. Like, that just went right over your heads, guys. Come on, dad jokes. whatever. Whatever. That thought process, though, by Miley Cyrus, that's the thought process that robs us of our joy. When we look at these hills and we think, I just gotta keep pushing, that's my go-to. I I love the grind. I like to push myself and see how far I can go. That's how I'm wired. But the reality is I cannot always push through the next thing. And so my big idea for you today is this. Is the Christian's joy is the most comforting of feelings that the Holy Spirit can produce in us as he reveals the beauty of Christ to us. Corey said it last week, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He's imparted to us. He just like comes in you and gives you new life. And he doesn't just stay in you and that's it. No, he seals you up. But then throughout all of your life, as he's sanctifying you, as he's making you more in the likeness of Jesus He's revealing the beauty of him to you, and that, is, that brings joy to your hearts. And so how do we experience that joy then? Well, the first one is this, as we slow down and look to Jesus. Let's just read verses one and two again. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So this psalmist He's assessing his situation, his circumstances that he's in. He looks up and he sees these hills. And now you can look at the hills in two different ways. Because what's going on is the psalmist is on a journey. It says this is a psalm, a song of ascent. So he's ascending to the hills. He's going to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. That's, that's what we can know of this text. That's the purpose behind him writing it. So when he sees the hills, he can either see them as that's where I want to go and right now I'm in a valley and I need out of this valley and I need some help to get to where I'm going. Or he can look to those hills and think, wow, those look really insurmountable. I don't know how I'm going to tackle those hills because regardless of where he's at, the reality is there's dangers that stay in the valley and there's dangers that await him in the hills. There's difficult terrain. There's Unknown weather, back in those days that had been bandits or robbers waiting to get people who were on their pilgrimage to where they were going. And so he stops, he slows down and he looks to Jesus. He says, where does my help come from? Well, it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. For us, we're not on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Maybe some of us will get to go there one day. That would be cool. But you are a sojourner on a pilgrimage to eternal life with Christ. That's where you're heading. None of us are meant for this world. I mean, this place is too messed up. None of us should be like, oh, this is great. Like, it's not. Like, it's just always another mess, right? And so, like, when we see that hill, whatever it may be, or that valley, however you want to view it, you have to stop and say, whoa, okay, where does my help come from? What am I going to do now? Because I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation, or I don't know how I'm going to get past that hill that's awaiting me. I don't know what to do. And right now, I feel like this season of Christmas, this month of December, it only magnifies it. It makes it almost worse because we've commercialized the the birth of our Savior. And so we spend all this time and all this money in all these gatherings, which can be really, really good. But they can also make you realize just how messed up everything is. And so then where does your help come from? What we'll do is we'll just put our heads down and try to barrel through like the song. I've been helping coach middle school basketball. Uh, If you know me, like I don't I'm not good at basketball at all. I wrestled growing up, and so last year around this time, I got asked to help coach basketball for Junior K Hawks, and I was like, "Sure, I'll I'll do it because that's what I do. I'm gonna be involved in the community, and if it involves my kids, I'm I'm all in." And so from that, I've learned a little bit and. I'm doing better at coaching basketball. But what I've noticed with our team, with these seventh grade boys, is when they get the ball, passed inside. If you coach at any other middle school, just, just close your ears, okay? Like, don't, don't game plan right now. So if they, when they get the ball at the, to inbound it, teams full court press them. If you know what that means, they're coming at them as soon as they get the ball inbounds. And our team, one of their struggles is they put their head down and they just start dribbling, like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna see if I can just bust through this. It doesn't work. None of them are Michael Jordan. Like, it doesn't work. Like, they try their best every once in a while. They get through. But the problem is, is we've given them a play to run that they can get out of the press break. It's a press break play is what it would be called. And if they would just do that, they would lift their eyes and look. There is help out there because there's four other teammates on the court that they can look to, that they could pass the ball to, to get the ball down the court to score a basket. That's the goal. And what we'll do When the pressures of life get on us, instead of slowing down and looking at what's going on and assessing the situation, we'll just put our heads down and try to dribble right through it. You can't. You can't. You won't. The pressures will just be insurmountable and they will overcome you and you will fail. It will not work out. You can do it for a while. You can fake it. Sometimes, trust me, I've been there. I've done it. I've faked it long enough to know this does not work so we can't just do that. We've been given a play to run as well, just as those seventh grade boys have. And that is to slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus and go to him in prayer. We don't just say, well, I'm gonna do this. I got this. We don't need four other teammates. We have him. We have him to look to. Our play is him. And the psalmist, he knew that. He knew that. He said, The answer to my own question is I'm gonna look to the creator of all things. And that's my problem right now and why I would say that I'm adventing for January. And the team, they called me out on that in our worship planning on Tuesday morning. So what do you think January is gonna bring? The same struggles exist. There's gonna be other busyness to keep you busy. There's gonna be issues with your family. It's not going away. Like it's just, you maybe don't have to talk to them as much. And there's not a holiday there. It's nothing changes and I said I was like wow that is like so if I'm not feeling peace and hope and love it's because I'm adventing to the wrong thing and I should advent to the creator of heaven and earth, Jesus, who in Colossians 1.16 says, for by, him and all, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So if all things are created for him, by him, then all I need to do is look to him because he wants it to work out for me. That's what he's doing. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. That doesn't mean it's always going to be happy, but I can have joy knowing that he is doing this. So, first, if we look to him for help, the next thing that we can know in this help that he provides is that Jesus is steady and steadfast. Verses 3 and 4 tell us He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God did not save you and then just set you on your own. He didn't say, hey, just go wander aimlessly until I return or you die. That would be silly. He said, no, I've got you. I'm gonna keep you steady. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you my spirit. Then it's going to live and dwell inside you and he's going to guide your steps, every step. It says in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three, the steps of a man are established by the lord when he delights in his way he's got you he's he's establishing your steps matthew 10:29 says this are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs of your head or lack thereof are not all numbered fear not therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows he has adopted us, as Corey said last week, as sons and daughters. He cares about us so greatly that he is steady and steadfast to know that your foot's not going slip, to slip, slip off of anything. He's got you. He's in control of everything that you do, and he's never going to rest. He's never going to stop. I asked We do a little sermonette uh, at eight o'clock for those serving in kids and in other areas that can't be in here right now. And I asked them, there wasn't a ton of them, but parents of toddlers. How many of you this morning were awakened, for real, a show of hands? How many of you got uh, woke up this morning before your alarm went off by a screaming kid? Come on. Yeah, maybe not screaming, but at least woke you up and you thought, could I just got 10 more? I can't see you, that's why I'm doing this. The lights blind you. You went to sleep. You're not there every second. You can't be. And if you did, sit outside your kid's room awake just in case they cried. You're weird. That's creepy. Go to bed. Like, you slumber. You sleep. Jesus does not. He won't. He can't. He is the perfect watchman. He is always looking over his creation, knowing every last bit of it. He is holding it all together. If he was to sleep, this would all stop. The world would quit spinning. We would float off in outer space and there would be no oxygen to breathe and we would all die if he slumbered, if he slept. He does not rest. He does not go to the bathroom. He is in control of it all. Charles Spurgeon writes on this psalm that the believer's help only comes from above. We look elsewhere in vain because everything else rests. Name one thing you can look in that is constant. And it will always be there for you. It can't be your spouse. They can't meet every one of your needs. They won't meet every one of your needs. They're going to fail you. It's not going to be your kids. It's not going to be your grandparents, your parents. It's not your neighbor. It's not your job. All of it will let you down eventually because none of it can be constant like the Lord. I believe we look elsewhere, though, because we doubt God. God. We don't think that he's really that concerned with our well-being. We don't think that he really is in that much control. I love the story of Elijah in First Kings 18. There's this story in there. It's not just a story, it's a historical account. There's not many prophets left of the Lord and there's 450 prophets of Baal. And so he's having this discourse with the king then and he tells them, go and you get all your prophets of Baal and then I'll show up and we're gonna both do a sacrifice. And so the prophets of Baal, they get their sacrifice prepared and the text says they're dancing around and they're screaming and they're shouting and they're cutting themselves and nothing happens because they said whoever God sends down fire and consumes the sacrifice, that is the real one true God. Well, those prophets of Baal danced for hours and screamed and prayed their prayers for hours with nothing, nothing happened. And Elijah looks at him, he goes, well, maybe he's using the restroom. Maybe he's taking a rest. Maybe he's went on a trip. Maybe you can arouse him and get him to come. Well, nothing ever happens, of course. And so then Elijah gets them out of the way. I could just picture him saying, just just go, just stand over there, get out of my way. He prepares his sacrifice. And he takes the wood and he has them just keep dumping water on it several times until it's soaking wet. If any of you know we're starting a fire, it's not easy to get wet wood to burn. And so he prays and there is no waiting, there is no longing for this fire to come. God consumes it instantly and the whole sacrifice is just consumed by fire. There is no other God. There is no other thing who is there in a moment's notice to do anything and everything that his people need. It's what we do is we, though, doubt that. We think, well, God is asleep. But that text that I read you earlier tells us that not even a bird falls to the ground without God knowing. So, trust me, he cares. He knows. He knows where my family is at. He knows where your family is at. He knows the struggles that you're facing, and he wants you not to try to find happiness in your circumstances, but to find joy in him. That's what he's wanting you to have. So, we have joy because we have a God in Jesus who never ceases to uphold us. And then, as we go on, what we can see is that Jesus comforts his own. He comforts his own. He, we are his people. He desires to keep us comforted. This is what it says in verses five and six. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So if he is our keeper and he is watching us tirelessly, never slumbering, what do we have to fear? Scripture tells us in the same Matthew 10 that we read from before, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body and hell. As we look at that text, what we know is God is not going to destroy his own. He already ransomed us. Jesus already took care of all of it. He paid the price, so he's not going to destroy us. Now he's going to protect us because he wants to see us flourish. He wants to see us do well. He wants to see us take his word to the nations. So he wants us to be safe. And this text tells us, again, what is interesting is that he mentions the sun and the moon. So he's basically saying, hey, 24-7, he's got you. During the day and at night, he has got you. But there's so much imagery here because he's, he's protecting, protecting us from these two great lights that he created, that he placed in the sky. So all of nature that falls under it, we're protected from it. I'm not saying that that means no evil will come upon you. We'll get to that in a minute. But he's got us. He has got us. From the extreme heat of the sun and the bone-chilling cold of night, he's got us. There's comfort in that. But it also shows us that he can keep you and all of us. Because he says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. He goes on and he starts to talk about how, up in verse 4, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. As it all connects together, what we can see is like, well, yeah, God can do that for you, David. He can he protect you. He can, he can get you to have joy. But he's doing it for all of us. He's not just doing it for a person. He's doing it for all of his people. When it says Israel, that he's, he's saying all of God's people have this type of protection. Under the sun, under the moon, he is protecting each of us day and night. And so it's comforting to know that he gives us shade when we are being beaten down by the scorching sun of life. So what do you do when you look for shade on a hot day? You've been outside, you're working, you look for shade, you look for a tree. You're a tree, something that is got broad branches with a lot of leaves that could probably lower to the ground so they can cast shade over you. You don't go and stand under a tree that's barren and it's real up high is the only thing because it's not gonna cast enough shade on you. You want something closer to you. And this says that he is our shade because he is close. He is an intimate God who knows us, who's with us. And I I want you to hear that because right now, if you're anything like me, and and I've already assessed that we most likely are all in somewhat of the same boat with our struggles through this season of life, then you need shade. You're searching for something. He wants you to know, I am close. I am your keeper. I'm not gonna let your foot stumble. I'm not going to slumber. I'm always there for you. Nothing is going to strike you down. That's so comforting for us, to have joy, to have joy. I want you to keep hearing, to have joy, not happiness. I'm not trying to point you to being happy. God is not as concerned with your happiness as he is you finding your complete and utter joy in him. And so as we move to the last two verses, then what we can see about Jesus and his help, being our help, is this, is that Jesus' protection is all-encompassing. Verses seven and eight say, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So you're kept from all evil. Your life is kept. Who's doing the keeping? The Lord is. It says it very clear there. I want you to see that. You're not keeping your life. You're not holding all things together. You cannot. No one else is. I just I think I've said that, but I want to reiterate. I want you to hear me because my go-to is I've got this. I'm going to power through. I've got this. I'm just going to have to man up. Like, this is like the self-talk that goes on in my head. I don't know how you are wired, but I'm saying, what are you, what are you doing, David? Like, suck it up. Like, just pull your stuff together and just get your, get your life straight and just suck it up. Like, you don't need to have all these emotions. Like, what are, what, are, what are you thinking? Like, just, and I can't. My help comes from him. And so when we see this, the Lord will keep me. Not David will keep himself. And so God, he's there. And, and this is another quote from Spurgeon that I was reading him this week. It says, God not only keeps his own in all evil times, but from all evil influences and operations. Yes, evils themselves. So God is not just kind of keeping evil away from you. He's keeping you from evil influences. He's, keep, he's given us away out of sin. All things evil, God has got us covered in. So I know what you're thinking probably. All right, cool. I'll follow Jesus and nothing bad's gonna to happen to me, no evil's gonna come upon me. No, that is not the gospel. That is not what the Bible tells us. The Bible is very clear that the gospel is saying, I've given my life for your life. Now pick up your cross and follow me as I show you grace and forgiven you of your sins. Nowhere does the Bible say this life's gonna be easy. Nowhere does this Bible say that everything's gonna go okay. The aim of this life is to bring God all glory from all people. And which in doing so, what we can know is that we are protected and our soul is kept. But not that we will never experience any evil. I like what Augustine, one of the early church fathers, writes. He says this, Not your body, talking of this protection from evil, Not your body. For the martyrs were consumed in the body, but the Lord preserves your soul. For the martyrs yielded not up their souls." A lot of these translations, we always are from the ESV, the English Standard Version, but several other translations, instead of saying the Lord will keep you from all evil, he will keep your life, it says he will keep your soul. That gives a whole other meaning to it. Yeah, evil's gonna come. It's gonna hit you. It's gonna be hard. Life's gonna be difficult. But he's gonna keep your soul. It brings this whole new perspective. When you look back even then to Matthew 10, he says that not a bird would fall to the ground apart from the Lord. That's why he keeps your soul. He knows everything about you and he's not gonna let you perish. You can't get saved and get unsaved. He's got you. He's all encompassing and holding you tight knowing that man, no matter what struggles and trials come in this life, I've got you into eternity and for all of eternity. So whatever you're facing this, you have already mentioned Romans to you that we know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God according to his purpose. Like He's working all these things out. And, and it's hard to have hope, right? Like you don't know how he's working it out. Like I, I don't know. I look at the circumstances in my own life and think, what are you doing? Like God, I don't know what you're doing, but there's a joy, there's a trust that he's got it. I think of the story of Joseph as we read through this. You know, he's sold into slavery by his brothers and then accused of false things. and He's moved all around in different positions, and, but eventually he's basically number two in Egypt. If you don't know the story, go read through the, towards the end of Genesis. But in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, and we know that for the, or as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So think of your situation. Whether it's a wayward child, a struggling marriage, a death, what if what was meant for evil, which all sin is in the broken world that we live in, what if what Satan meant for evil, God is using in your life so that many should be kept alive, but not alive in this life but alive for eternity, that through the work that he's doing in your life, that he will later use that as a testimony to those who do not yet know him, that because of your experiences that that you experience individually that is unique to you, God will be able to take that and form it so you'll be able to share the gospel in a more concise and clear way to someone else who is struggling with a similar thing so they may be kept alive, their soul that's what we advent for. That gives me joy to think, okay, God, this hurts right now. This is tough. I'm busy. I'm struggling. Life is difficult. But yet, you're gonna use my story as just this piece of your greater story, your greater redemptive narrative so that we can provide joy to those who are struggling, those who have no hope. I'm in. I'll follow after you. So as the team comes back up, for worship, and as we move into communion, I want you to think of this. This psalmist, he says he looks to the hills, but there's yet one hill that we need to look to, and that is Golgotha, the hill in which our Savior was crucified and died for us. Look to that hill. Don't look to the hills and think, I can't do it. Look to that hill, because Jesus, on the night that he was gonna, before he was crucified, he sat in that garden, and he had a hill in front of him. He knew Golgotha awaited him. He knew Judas was on his way. He knew. And yet he didn't say, well, I'm just gonna have to push through this. He didn't run. He didn't try to take off. He said, let this cup not pass from me. Your your will be done, Father. Because he knew that his help was coming from his father, a good father who loved him. And so, In Hebrews 12, it tells us that we look to that Jesus then, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You were his joy. That was his joy. Us, me, you, that he would save us from our sins, the wrath that we were owed. And so today, if you're here and you're thinking, man, like I don't have any joy. Find joy in that he finds joy in you. We endured everything so you and me would never have to face it for eternity and then we would have a way out in this life and so today if you're a believer I just ask that you would just take a moment because we're gonna we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing we're gonna take communion and I just want you to take a moment and think like am I looking to him for my help do I have joy in him or am I trying to find my help in everything else and I'm lacking joy If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I'm not talking about religious activity. I don't, your church attendance is irrelevant. I'm talking genuine faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, who was born of a virgin, died on a cross, rose again. If you've never placed your faith in him, I'm urging you today to really, to give that some real thought. There's not a more important decision you'll ever have in your life than to say, I'm surrendering it all to you. I'm looking to you for my help. And so, I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. I'm going to pray in a second. You guys are going to take communion. I'm going to read some scripture about communion. But if you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you to bow your head on your own. Not weird stuff like raise your hand, pray a prayer. I don't do that. We don't do that here. But if you're not a believer, I'm asking that you bow your head and and you pray out to God and ask him to save you. Say, I need your help. I need you to forgive me. I want to put my faith in you. If you are a Christian and you've not been putting your eyes on him, you've not been fixing your eyes on him, then repent. Let me read this over us so and I'm going to pray. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians concerning communion. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we wait for. It's what we advent for, for him to come again. Let me pray. God, help us to see you in all of our circumstances in all of the things that we go through, the valleys and the hills of life, Lord. Help us to slow down and look to you and know that you are in all Comforting, all-encompassing help, God. You've created us. You love us, and you have not just sent us here for nothing. So, God, I pray for those who do not yet know you that are here, those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that you will save them. And God, for those of us who you've already saved, I pray that you will fix our eyes on you again and again, every time we turn our eyes away. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.